Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what we do here. Um, what is church? What does it mean when we sing over the past two weeks? And uh, a lot of those have been in, in, in general. They've just been generalities. We, uh, we sing because we are filled with the Spirit. Church is something that, um, that has God changing you. It's when, when, when a group of people point to, to Jesus instead of point to themselves. Uh, there, there's some beautiful things that are happening on Sunday morning. And I wanted to speak in generalities because those beautiful things happen all over the place. There are people who disagree with us about different things that still sing praises to God. Um, that still get together and point to Jesus. I don't want to be under the illusion that we have it all right and everyone else has it all wrong. As we have said before, and I think I'm quoting somebody else on this one, Jesus is the only way to God. We are not the only way to Jesus. But to this morning, I want to talk about our church. And by what I mean our church, I just mean this one. What we do here. And something that we do here that is actually a bit different than what they do in different sorts of churches. In the end, I want to I talk to you this morning about why exactly I preach at a church of Christ. Um, I, as I grew up, I disagreed with my home congregation on some very different topics and some, some serious things that they would say were serious and I said were not. And that could get me in trouble and it has gotten me in trouble in different places. I still hold to those opinions, but yet I have not left the churches of Christ. But before I talk about the church of Christ, I want to talk about a Presbyterian church. I don't know if you've ever been to a Presbyterian church. I have not. So, I am not going to speak um, about the Presbyterian churches as they exist now, but I'm going to tell you about one that existed in Scotland. There's a Presbyterian church in Scotland um, quite a while ago. But they weren't just a Presbyterian church. See, all the, all the, state spon- all the churches in um, Scotland were Presbyterian, um, or at least the Presbyterian churches were, but the state-sponsored church was a Presbyterian church, and they weren't... We call it the Scottish Presbyterian Church, but but they just called it Presbyterian, right? Like the French just say fries, I believe. I don't know. I'm not that cultured. Um, But this Presbyterian Church was not just a Presbyterian Church. It was was an old light, anti-burger, seceder Presbyterian Church. Now, all those names in front of the Presbyterian Church will tell you that the Presbyterian Church had split several times. Uh, Not just the the church in this particular town, but all over the country, these churches had had split. First, it was a decision whether you were going to be a seceder church or an anti-seceder church. This may get ugly real fast, linguistically. Uh... And if you were a seceder church, that means that, means that you believed that the, that the government had, should have no say in what, um, who was going to choose your minister. So basically it meant you believed that your own church got to choose your own minister. And they thought that made sense. Now this church was an anti-burger church because they believed that the mayor shouldn't get any input... 
I know, it was a good point. (laughs) The mayor shouldn't get any input into who is your minister. The the government shouldn't get an input, but also like the city government shouldn't have any sort of say. The leader of the town shouldn't have any say in who your minister is. And the old light meant that they believed, this particular church believed, that that they were going to stick to the Westminster Confession when dealing with choosing their minister. Minister. It was all about how you chose your minister. They were an old light, anti-burger, seceder, Presbyterian church. Now, this is all fine. We can disagree on whether what the government has a right to do and what they don't have a right to do. We can disagree on the proper way in which to hire a minister. My particular stance is that you don't need one right now. There, we can disagree on a lot of things, and, and you can say, well, I think we should stick to the Westminster Confession. I'd say, have you read it? There are some things about the Westminster Confession that I like and some things that I don't. The Churches of Christ, we don't really know what the Westminster Confession is. <laughs> Sorry. But there is a, there, there's a lot of things going on in all these different churches and, and they disagree about a lot of different things. But the problem was that they didn't like each other simply because they disagreed. Disagreement meant that you weren't faithful. Isn't it odd that the things that are important to God are always the things that are important to us? And it's the way it worked in these Presbyterian churches and and these typical churches. So you'd come into a church and they would say, oh, are you Presbyterian? And you'd say, yes, I'm visiting. If you could understand their accents. They would say, yeah, yes, I'm visiting, yes. I, and, well, are, are you seceder? Oh, yes, I believe a church needs to, um, uh, need, definitely needs to pick their own minister. Are you anti-burger? Yes. Why in the world would a guy named, titled Burger have anything to do with what we, how we pick our minister? And you would they'd say, oh, okay, well, of course, then you're old light. And you'd be like, well, no, I think we should be able to interpret the scriptures on our own and not necessarily stick to the Westminster Confession when hiring a minister. And they would say... You don't have to get out. It started like that. You don't have to get out of the building right now. But you don't get to take communion with us. See, what happened was was, um, they would only fellowship with the people who agreed with them. And for them, fellowship was communion. Now, if you had gone into the meeting and you had established that you were um, that you were seceder, you'd established that you were anti-burger, you'd s- established, although I'm very pro-burger, um, I just couldn't not, I've thought that joke three times, and I've, I've dismissed it several times, and I just couldn't, it fought its way out. I'm, I apologize, sincerely. Um, They've established that you were anti-burger and they've established that you were old light. Then they would give you a token. And also, I mean, this, this was only if you only got a meeting if you were wealthy enough, if you were, if you were influential. 
If you were a poor person, if you were a, uh, an immigrant, if you whatever, if you if you were someone that the society in general looked down upon, you didn't even get a meeting. And so there would be people who were old light anti burger seceder people, but they were too poor to to even get a meeting. And if you had a token, if you had a coin, you could you could cash that in if you, you got to take communion. No one else got to. And so there were people on the sides weeping whenever they served communion. Because they wanted to take in the body and the blood of Jesus. And they just couldn't. Either because they were too poor to get a meeting. Or once in the meeting, they really didn't say all the right things. There was a guy in this church named Thomas Campbell. Thomas Campbell was old light, he was anti-burger, and he was seceder, and he was Presbyterian. And he had a coin. And it frustrated the fire out of him that we couldn't all just get along. So one Sunday, when they were serving communion and people along the walls were... were were sad and some were crying because they could not take of communion. But Thomas Campbell, he had a coin and he got to take it. Now, the way they took communion is they walked to the front and they took it. So Thomas Campbell walked to the front with his coin and threw it down on the table and walked out. The churches of Christ as we know it essentially started at that moment. Our movement is not a movement designed to start a perfect church. The Church of Christ movement was not something that began as, well, we've got it right and those people have it wrong, so we're going to have to disfellowship them. Our movement began because a man... And his son, Alexander, on a completely different continent, was having the same thoughts. Our movement began as a movement to give communion to all who sought it. So you walk into a church of Christ, ideally, any Sunday... If you want communion, we serve it to you. No questions asked. We stand on a belief that it is absurd to to ask everyone to agree on every principle of every passage. I know for a fact you don't agree with everything I think. I often don't agree with everything I think. I don't even know how that works. But it's we go back and forth and we, we wrestle with passages and we learn things. That's what learning is. You didn't know something. You were wrong about something. And now you've 
come to a different conclusion. We were talking in class this morning about the idea that in the past 10 years, you've learned something. It is ridiculous to believe that you have now learned everything. What, are you done? If you plan on learning something about the Bible, about life, about parenting, about being a child, whatever... If you plan in the next 10 years about learning something, that means you are wrong now. You're wrong about something. I'm wrong about something. I'm not okay with that, but it's just the reality. This means that we get to rejoice that we are continually learning and and figuring out this whole thing we call Christianity. So whenever we plant our feet and turn and start becoming the judge of who is in the right and who is in the wrong, so therefore who gets to take communion and who doesn't, we are doing something very non-Christian. The sermon... Uh, Listen, Alexander Campbell and Thomas Campbell did not set out to start a new church. They didn't say, well, what should we call it? Church of Christ? That sounds fantastic. And then they had a big disagreement about whether the church, C in church was lowercase or uppercase. That's just for you who were raised in the Church of Christ. They didn't have, they, they just said, why can't we all get along? They went to the Baptist and to the Presbyterians and and eventually they they had to start a new church because the call to unity got them kicked out of every other church. For when when they went to when it was actually Alexander Campbell preached a sermon called the fence the hedge around the communion table or the fence around the communion table. You can go to just a most churches today and you will not be able to take of communion unless you are a member those of you who are in the, who born and raised in the church of christ have no idea that that's how it works You come into this building, come into this auditorium, and you sit down and you sing songs with us, you pray with us, you listen to sermons with us, you, you, you talk with us after, you'll go and eat uh, potluck with us after the service, which isn't today, sorry, go in there, they're going to steal something from you. But you should do it. They, all these things... We do together, but communion, oh, that's only for those who are correct among us. Communion is us remembering that Jesus did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. So anytime we believe that we have somehow earned communion and other people haven't, we are missing the point. The reason I preach at a church of Christ is because of this. And I mean, because I can talk about baptism anywhere. 
I preached a sermon on baptism about two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And I had people come up who had been born and raised in the, born and raised in the Church of Christ. Actually, we'll just say raised. Rarely has anyone actually been born in the Church of Christ. They were raised in the Church of Christ, and they said, I've never, I haven't heard baptism put completely just like that. See, we're still learning even about some of the stuff that we thought we knew all along. I can preach baptism anywhere. I can talk about the Spirit, Holy Spirit, anywhere. I can talk about um, singing praises to God anywhere. I can talk about um, being autonomous, which that means we, we aren't connected to any outside organization. I can do that in a lot of different places. The reason I'm in a church of Christ is because we offer communion to anyone who wants it, period. We have a lot of people who've been visiting us for quite some time. And I know the thing, we do communion before the sermon. And I don't ever really get to talk about it. But you get to take of it. You get to take of communion. If you want to, we let you. See, one of, the, one of the saddest things, I think, that have hap- has happened to the Church of Christ is we become known as those people. Actually, this is the second saddest. We've become known as the people who don't use instruments. Like, that defines us very well. The, first, the, the most sad thing is that we become known as the people who think we're the only ones going to heaven. We transformed into a unit from a unity movement into a unit a movement that pushes for disunion. We need to be known as the unity movement once again. Because within our services, we just pass the plates down the aisle and we leave it up to you you answer no questions you fill out no forms but here's the body and the blood of jesus you don't have to get it right before you get it at all paul had this very same problem and i was about to walk around and then decided not to because my mic's still not working Paul had this very same problem. He was dealing with it in Corinth. He says to the people in the Corinthian church, if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, this is the the chapter we often read from at the beginning of communion, but we we don't often get the context. We don't hear this first little part. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, is it, not the, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. Now, in the dining room of a first century house, especially only, actually only if you are a a very well-off first century Greek or Roman citizen, in the dining room, you could only fit comfortably about nine or ten people. 
most of the time, if you met in a house, which everyone in the first century did, they all met in houses. You met in a house, um, the, the, the whole assembly would take place in uh, an entryway or an atrium sort of thing. And that, that could hold quite a bit more. And mo- all churches did this. They met in a wealthy person's home because only a wealthy person's home could, could provide um, the, the space for what they needed to do. And so they'd go into this home and they would all eat a meal together. And at the first of the meal, they'd take bread and they would pass it around and say, this is the body of Jesus. And at the end of the meal, they would take wine and they would pass it around or f- fruit of the vine, if that makes you more comfortable. And they would pass it around and they would, they would say, this is, this is the blood of Jesus. And in the middle, they would have a legitimate meal. By the way, I've, I've had people disagree with me on this. This isn't an opinion. This is years of study, not for me, but years of study by people who know the socioeconomic standings and the, the, the social structures of the early church. Wayne A. Meeks, who is, I might add, a flaming liberal, but he, he did all of this very well. This, the best study on the first century church. And they had a meal. Between the bread and the wine, they had a meal. It is just a fact. And if you disagree with it, it's just a fact you're unaware of. They had bread, meal, wine is how they did communion in the first century church. But they would have to do it in these houses and they would gather around in places where they typically didn't eat because there were so many of them. And in the Corinthian church, what was happening was the rich people made their way into the dining room and got to have their own little private meal and the poor people were pushed out into the atrium to, to, to have their meal. And they were disconnected, they were disjoined. Sometimes, because if you were a poor person in the first century, you... One, had no chance of ever being a rich person. And two, you, you just... Secondly, you... Um, good grief, what was second? Tomorrow's my birthday, I turn 32 tomorrow, and I might have just lost my mind. So let's get a run at this. First off, you, you, had, you, um, you, you, you had to work... Oh, you had no chance of being rich ever again, and secondly, you had to work every day of the week. That means you had to work on Sunday or Saturday. Now, every church that met the special day was either on Saturday night, if you were in a Jewish part of the world, or Sunday night, if you were on in a Greek part of the world. If you want to know why that is, you can ask me later. But they met at night, so these these poor people would have to work all day. And the rich people, guess what they had to do all day? Nothing. Because the poor people were working for them. And so they'd get together, they'd eat, they'd get full, they'd get drunk. And they'd, they'd, by the time the poor people showed up, there was nothing for them. And even when they showed up together, the rich people would get the choice food. They'd get to go through first and they'd get the choice food. <laughs> I just said go through first like I'm assuming it's a potluck. (laughs) They would get their choice of food. There was divisions among the people who were important and the people who weren't important. 
And Paul says, listen, if this is going to be the case, this isn't the Lord's Supper you are taking. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Sometimes this verse is used to say, don't ever drink inside, eat or drink inside a church. Um, That's a misunderstanding of this verse. They were eating and drinking. He's just saying, you got to do it all together. If you divide it, And there's divisions among you. You miss the point. He says it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. Because you got homes to eat and drink. And this isn't just to eat and drink. It's to eat and drink together. Or do you despise the church of, uh, of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, this is a verse we're familiar with. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he, was, he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he went on to say, In the same way, after supper, he took this cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you come. If we said only the people who got it right, who understood everything correctly, got to take communion, we would be proclaiming our own correctness. But when we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, what we are proclaiming is that with with the bread, we... We believe He came and became human for all of us. And with the cup, we believe He shed His blood for all of us. For the rich, for the poor. I seem to remember Paul saying something about there's no longer slave or free. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, he says in Galatians. There's no longer, there's no more of this male and female sort. We are are united in the body of Jesus. And when we take of communion, although sometimes because we're, we take it and it's all just, it's all individual things. Please, children, don't talk to me now. It's a community in which it happens. When we take of communion, we are proclaiming that Jesus has united us all together with his body and with his blood. Because the good news is that in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he saved us from our sins. But if you cut that short, you miss the point. He shaved us, saved us. He saved us from our sins so that we can be united with God and with each other. Communion, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. Now, we don't really use wine that I know of. 
Every once in a while, if you leave it sitting out too long. But the bread and the cup, these things represent not just that Jesus existed or that he just died, but they, 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 we remember his death and what it did. I could not deny something so beautiful to somebody just because they disagreed with me. Just because I didn't know all the details yet. Now listen, my kids don't take of communion. Especially Nolan. We don't. They don't. Uh, the reason they don't is because I just don't think they understand it yet. Also, I believe that about the time they're going to understand communion is about the time that they're going to be committing themselves to Jesus. So I typically align those two things. But if you're an adult, If you're an adult, we offer you communion without questions. I do believe if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. If you're confused about it, I I would wait and then ask somebody. But without question, we're going to offer you communion. Because at the center of what we do is a belief that the death The body, the blood, the resurrection of Jesus unites us even though we disagree. Communion promotes our community. Communion celebrates our community. A community that was brought together by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It celebrates our community. It doesn't celebrate our uniformity. It celebrates our community, our unity, our common unity. There's no such word as communiformity. Maybe that sentence was just fun for me. But what what we're called to do is to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if, listen, if if this is your first time here, and you think, I'm not, maybe you went to church where, like, you got to be a certain person or a certain type, you you have to have done, you have to do, like, a list of things to get served communion. You got to fill out a paper, you got to register or something, I don't know. You're wondering, well, do I get to take communion here? They're passing a communion every Sunday. Yes. Yes. Because if you don't get if you don't deserve the body and the blood of Jesus, then I don't either. We are called to proclaim his death. That's what the that's what the church of Christ was built on. Is that we all should get there should, be, there should be no fences built around the communion table. 
We should offer the body and the blood. We should offer the bread and the cup to all who come.